1: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today.
0: And so the two men retire to their respective corners.
2: Perhaps a dozen times a year, I either switch on the television to watch boxing at home or pack up my laptop to cover a big fight. And my wife says, how can you watch that brutality, two men trying to smash each other
1: unconscious? Before Christmas, the Times' chief sports writer, Matt Dickinson, penned a confession. It was a column entitled, Boxing's Time is Up. I won't be watching on Saturday or ever again. Pinning down the exact
2: cause of this gradual but undeniable shift is not straightforward. But there is no doubt there's so much coverage of head trauma in NFL football, and now rugby has posed increasingly awkward questions.
1: For him, as a sports journalist, it was a moment of truth.
2: The cleanest, quickest, most coveted victory is a knockout that requires ferociously concussive punches to rattle a soft brain inside a hard skull.
0: But Joshua goes on the attack once again. Two uppercuts
1: just grazed Matt wrote the column ahead of a big fight that weekend involving the British heavyweight Anthony Joshua.
2: Squeamishness at this violence is not because I believe in eliminating risk from sport or life. I love extreme sports precisely because they make us feel more alive. It is not because I do not appreciate the visceral thrills of boxing. To watch any fight, especially from ringside, so close that you can hear, almost feel the thunderous smack of fist into face, reaches parts that no other sporting activity can reach, which is why it will always have a dangerous allure.
1: But for Matt, the allure was no longer enough to obscure
2: the cost. So count me out tomorrow night. The pursuit of smacking another man in the head so that his brain rattles violently inside his skull, ideally to the point of unconsciousness, is not something I feel comfortable rooting for
1: anymore. Now, it's one thing when someone like me says he can't watch boxing anymore. It's sort of what you would expect. But when one of Britain's top sports journalists says it, you know the tectonic plates are shifting...
0: Round. Anthony Joshua is back on track.
1: You're listening to Stories of Our Times from the Times and the Sunday Times. I'm David Ronovich. Today, concussion in sport. Why is boxing still allowed? At the end of last year, a group of recently retired rugby union players claimed the sport had left them permanently brain-damaged, while in football, an incident in the English Premier League saw an Arsenal defender continue playing after a knock to the head. These were just the latest elements in a growing argument about the safety of contact sports, and it was into that context that Matt Dickinson's piece on boxing dropped.
2: It's the type of column that you sort of press send knowing that uh, it's going to generate a huge amount of debate. And I wasn't disappointed, wasn't surprised to see me being called um, snowflake. Wet wipe, I think, was a a phrase used a few times. Wet Um, wipe. (laughs) Wet wipe, yes.
1: Matt's been at The Times since 1997 as a sports journalist, and six years ago was made the paper's chief sports writer. As he suggested, the online comments under his piece were not universally complimentary nor were all the offline ones. Great big
2: woke I was called, and that was by someone in the office. So there was, <laughs> there, there, there was uh, expected people who love boxing, basically some of them saying, you know, if you don't like this, well, why are you even covering sport? Are you in the right job? To, uh, I guess, a middle ground of people sharing conflicted feelings about it. And some who said, why is this sport not banned? It's barbaric. Why are we still allowing it? Part of why I find this debate really fascinating is that it throws up so many conflicted feelings. 11th, I was at ringside for what was Joshua's defining fight against Klitschko in 2017. Wembley, Full House, when you're sat six feet from a boxing ring, there is every punch that lands feels like it shudders through you, never mind the poor guy who's on the receiving end. You can almost feel the sweat fly off the boxers. There is a great visceral roar from the crowd. The atmosphere is incredible. I wrote in the piece. Boxing, at its best, can touch parts of you that other sport simply can't. It touches parts that I'm not sure anything else can, and that is why it does have what I call a dangerous allure. It does have special unique qualities, and yet they're ones that I'm finding resistible for for the first time in
1: my life. It was one of the last fights to take place, because as of Monday, due to Covid and not worries over head injuries, all professional boxing matches in Britain are off. But what I wanted to know was, when had Matt first begun to feel uncomfortable with the sport? And that story, it turned out, went back a quarter of a century. In 1995, he was sitting in a black cab en route to a social gathering with friends. That night, British boxer Nigel Benn was facing the American Gerald McClellan.
0: Benn's actually looking better here than he was two rounds ago. He's got his confidence back again, showing a little feint. Back,
2: has a good job for you. I remember I was on my way to a party in London. I was m- mid twenties, I think, at the time, and the taxi driver was listening to the fight. And I remember it reached—you know—it was the commentator was beside himself with the excitement and the drama. I mean, it's gone down in history, you know, even before it concluded as one of the most brutal fights he's sort of ever seen. He's going to count him
1: out. He? He's, count he's, quit, out mate, him. He's, he's done him. He's quick. What a fantastic! Performance this spring is going to be like the London Underground in the Ruckout.
2: And I was there in that taxi. I remember we got to our destination and I asked the cabbie if I could listen to the, the closing of the fight, which which he happily did. Obviously, he kept the meter running. And it was a brutal fight at the time.
1: And that's the border control doctor there in the corner with Jeremy McClellan. Just making sure that he's okay. And we're still not sure. I mean, obviously, the punches do it.
2: We're not hiding that. But Subsequently, McClellan was blinded. Paralysed, and I remember at least feeling the conflict then of, hang on a minute, what was I cheering for here? And, and look at the outcome, devastating someone's
1: life. The fight was, as Matt says, brutal. After he had lost, Gerald McClellan walked his corner, sat down on the canvas and leaned back against the ring. He then slumped onto his back and lost consciousness. McClellan was rushed to the hospital and had emergency surgery to remove a blood clot from his brain. Then just 27, the American spent 11 days in a coma and was found to have suffered extensive brain damage. He lost his eyesight and the ability to walk unassisted. I think at
2: least the stirring of this sport is complicated, hugely dangerous was back then, but I I think the sort of bringing it to a sort of personal, professional conflict was Mayweather Pacquiao.
1: Floyd Mayweather versus Manny Pacquiao, 2015, 20 years since Gerald McClellan's disaster in the ring. Mayweather Pacquiao, streaming live from Las Vegas, was a box office big money fight.
0: Mayweather is a little bit tense, so I mean this can burn up the, the, the energy. Pacquiao was relaxed.
1: He's not... I remember
2: Paying my 25 quid to watch it at four in the morning and these are two guys who were sort of beyond their best. They were spent most of the fight dancing around each other. He seems to be caught
0: between two caps at the
1: moment, Pacquiao. Ah, ah, no, no, no,
0: no, 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 Mayweather is so good when he makes a mistake, not allowing the other guy to capitalize on you. You see the way he pushed Pacquiao down there when he made a little slip.
2: And I was there at four in the morning screaming, smack him, smack him, you know, smack the bastard, because I wanted my money's worth. You know, I wanted to see a fight. I wanted to see a tear up. And I remember my wife hearing me screaming at the telly at four in the morning, coming down and saying, A, keep the bloody noise down, but B, you know, what are you doing?
1: What happens when he does? Mayweather just toying with him at the moment.
2: What instinct is this, then, that you want to see one bloke, wallop the other and i i think it was that sort of question that she's posed to me more than once since that i should be asking myself but i think we tend to dodge these sort of awkward questions and the more i thought about what am i cheering for the less i like the answer
1: no no. and she was asking who is this man i'm married to Now, in your column, you quote Simon Barnes, the former Times chief sports writer, the fact that he went off boxing too. And you quoted this particular bit, which is very specific. He said, when deaths and serious injuries happen in sports, such as horse racing or Formula One, it's because things have gone horribly wrong. But when they happen in boxing, it's because things have gone horribly right. Is that what makes boxing specifically different?
2: I think it is. I think it's a, I mean, it's a great phrase that he's used. And people within boxing, their response to that, very specific as well, the aim of boxing is not to cause brain damage or to cause serious injury. But it's back to that question of, what what actually do I want from a fight? And I want drama from a fight, because we want drama from sport as spectators. And to make drama in boxing, you need to have one bloke walloping the other as hard as possible. You need to have him suffering from that walloping. The great fights are not just sort of over in 30 seconds. They go on for round after round of one person looking like it's all over, then he makes a comeback. And that drama requires an awful lot of concussive blows to the head. When boxing fans excuse it by saying yes, but you know, there, there is the intent is not to, to cause serious injury. So yeah, but the intent is to knock someone out. And if again, if you sort of step back and think, what does it take to knock someone out? That requires a brain to rattle inside a skull. As soon as you sort of take that step back to think about that, that's when I think really awkward questions
1: keep coming. Now we'll come back to some of those in a moment, but one of the things that struck me when we decided to to do this programme, quite apart from what you'd written in your article, was the fact that it, it seemed to fit into a pattern of a period of reflection on the part of Contact Sports about what might be happening to the people who play them in rugby over the the other side of the pond in American football very big changes how do you think this fits into what would you call that a degree of additional scruple which we maybe didn't have 10 15 25 years ago
2: Yeah, I mean I think it's been fascinating. I mean twenty twenty's been a huge year for it. I think it's been it's been brewing in football. Um, we still don't know. I mean, that's one of the 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 biggest issues here. There's a great ignorance around you know how much in football heading a ball, whether it's an old leather ball, was it worse than heading a modern ball, even though the modern ball moves faster. There is an awful lot of neuroscience going on. That rugby has blown up in the last couple of months. There's been a lot of of sort of squeamishness around big hits in rugby and the injury rate. That's become very specific to head trauma recently because a number of former players, and we're talking recently retired players, have have launched a huge legal case, which echoes a a situation in the NFL, American football, where there was a billion dollar fund set up to, to recompense former players. So there is a huge sensitivity around the damage that is being suffered by sportsmen particularly around the brain. And the fact is that the the neuroscience has still got a heck of a long way to go before we actually have the full evidence.
1: Now, one of the arguments that comes up with boxing inevitably always has is, but the boxer knows the risk.
2: I wrote very much specifically about my gut feeling towards it because, yeah, the fact is if two boxers willingly go into a ring to fight each other, I can't see that being banned anytime soon because it is entirely consensual. It doesn't mean to say I'm going to like it, though. I spoke more about the sort of social acceptability and questioned whether that will change over... It might take a century, might take several centuries, but I, I do wonder whether boxing will exist in, in a couple of hundred years.
1: We'll come on to some of Matt's more philosophical thoughts in a moment, also take a trip to Moss Side in Manchester as a firefighter puts forward his case that boxing saves lives rather than ruins them. But before that, if you want to enjoy more writing from our brilliant sports desk, why not get a digital subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times? Subscribe today and get one month free. Just search thetimes.co.uk forward slash times You write this article, you set out your stool about what you feel, but that, of course, is not the end of it. What happens next?
2: The journalist friend, he got in touch and just said, look, respect your view, didn't particularly like it, but did just say, look, there is you know, another side to this whole debate. He boxed as a kid, always been part of his life, great defender of it, and talked for himself about the what it had done for him, the confidence he'd gained from it, the disciplines he'd gained from it, the athleticism he'd gained from it, and said that I should go to the gym in Manchester. We're talking about Moss Side, which is one of the more deprived areas of the northwest, notorious at certainly one stage for a a lot of gang violence. And he said that there was a gym that had been set up actually by the firefighters in this area and that it was taking hundreds of kids from the local area, and giving them somewhere to train, giving them somewhere to not loiter on the streets, and that it would be worth my while going to speak to Nigel Travis, who set this place up, a former boxer. Next thing I know, I'm in my car and heading to Moss Side.
1: In Moss Side, Matt arrives at the fire station.
2: He just literally get, so go round the back of the fire station into the car park, and there was a disused storehouse. Um, and this is about uh, 10, 12 years ago that Nigel Travis, you know, who's you know, he's a serving firefighter there, he wanted to set up this gym
0: uh, i do a, a 48 hour shift a week but i come over here in my spare time so i'm a, I'm a, a firefighter by trade and a, and a boxing coach by, by as a volunteer but it's the best thing i've ever done I've, I, I can do i can do no nothing more in my life than, than this really
2: it's Effectively, like a sort of school hall size, I guess, and they've got a boxing ring at one end. And like a lot of gyms, then you've got the hanging bags up.
0: But whoever's in charge here will be me, or whoever the coach is. They have to say the safeguards for place to ensure that the kids not getting hurt, but that's down, to, the, down to, to me to ensure so.
2: These places always, there's a sort of rawness and a well, I was, I was, and a sweaty smell about, uh, about boxing gyms all the time and posters up on the wall, which will be you know, either the great fighters or kids who have come through. Above the ring at one end is a huge sign saying, respect, discipline, courage. And Nigel, what's he like? Uh, one of the more charismatic people you, you could ever meet.
0: These kids know how to fight. That's their very nature. These kids from this area, they have to fight for the food if there's 10 kids living in a house and there's one piece of chicken, they have got to fight for dinner. They're going to fight for breakfast. So they know how to fight. It's how I'm teaching these kids how not to fight. How when the choice comes to walk away.
2: The guy who is uh, full of, of passion full of, for his sports, full of passion for helping these kids, he said, look, as a firefighter, it's my living to, to pull people out of burning buildings. But I- well,
0: I've never saved lives like I've saved in here. This is the... My biggest success success
2: is in boxing. I'm saving more lives by what I do in here in the gym. He's sort of uh, constantly clad in a Peaky Blinders cap. If you were going to spend an hour with an an advocate for boxing, then you, you would probably struggle to meet someone more persuasive. And a hugely impressive place. There's no two ways about it.
0: No one sees amateur boxing. They don't see this. They come into the boxing club and and at the door, I say, can you do that? Can you do those things? Inspect the gym. And they always say, yes, I can. I'm coach. Get on with your way. Do as you so. And from that day forward, they'll address me as coach forever.
2: I think his eagerness was partly to differentiate between... Yeah, the the main thrust of my piece, which was looking at the, the top professional end of the game and the amateur side that he was dealing with there, where you're taking kids off the street. Now there is clearly a link between the two in the sense of, as I say, to get these kids in, boxing has to have a certain allure and that allure comes from the top end. So that there is clearly a correlation between the two. I mean, one of the questions I put to him was, well, isn't there a way of doing a martial art that does not require smacking people in the head. And he said, fair question, but how many of these kids would be here if we were offering judo or karate instead? And that's an interesting counterpoint in itself. Does boxing have a hold on that area that another sport would struggle to fill?
1: Precisely because of its violence?
2: Well, because of its money and glamour. The fact is that Anthony Joshua could earn 100 million quid from his next fight, and you're not going to earn that from several lifetimes of of doing karate or judo
1: what does he say about the dangers of the sport they can't be hidden from him and he must have known people who have been hurt
2: yeah then he's you know all but a few of his fights were as an amateur and even that he says look there is potential that i will have early onset dementia there is potential that Boxing will catch up with me, but he pointed to his 71 year old father who was leading a lot of these kids, still bright as a button, and said, Yeah, look at him, I'm willing to take that risk, basically.
0: He was a boxer himself, but I want to make a difference. And I think that's when it comes down to this. I really genuinely want to make a difference.
1: The charisma and passion of Nigel Travis in Moss Side was impressive, but Matt's mind wasn't changed. The argument that boxing saves lives, giving young men and women often from deprived backgrounds a purpose, is hardly a new one.
2: This is a very familiar story we hear among boxers. Knowing that it can save lives doesn't mean that that suddenly means I flick on at 10 o'clock on a Saturday night and watch two people belt each other and think, I hate this, but it saves lives. I still hate it. I still question that I should be watching it. I think what I saw in Manchester was impressive. I think if boxing was ever to die out, someone needs to fill that gap of what boxing can do in in amateur gyms. I think it more underscored that I still had my feelings, but I was probably right not to call for a ban on boxing, because there is a lot that boxing can bring, whether I like it or not.
1: If you feel it's not right for you to watch, how can one feel that it is right for it to be allowed to happen? If someone was to invent boxing out
2: of nowhere now, I'm struggling to see that it would be legalised, given the debate about concerns about rugby or even, even football, that if you were to say, right, I'm now going to send two guys into a ring to try and belt each other unconscious, you know, let's work out the regulations and the licensing around that, I, I think it's, it's really going to struggle. If boxing is going to die out or fade away, it's more likely to be a sort of social acceptability issue than an outright ban any time soon.
1: But when will that withdrawal of social sanction kick in? Because there's some evidence that things may be heading in the other direction.
2: Maybe the biggest retort and best retort to my piece was the growth of UFC. This other form of martial arts fighting which can be bloodier and gorier than boxing.
1: UFC, or the Ultimate Fighting Championship, is a form of mixed martial arts which takes place in an octagonal cage. It's much more brutal to watch than boxing, and opponents can freely kick each other in the head. Since the mid-2000s, the sport has become ever more popular, and in 2016, the whole thing was sold to an entertainment conglomerate for $4.2 billion. I was
2: covering the Winter Olympics a few years back and it was on every bus that I got on. There was, for some reason, there was a TV showing UFC and I found it abhorrent. It, it just got something in my gut that I just found I couldn't watch anymore. Call me squeamish, call me a wet white, but I, 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 again, if I detach myself, I don't think it's so odd to say I don't like seeing a bloke lying on the ground being smashed in the face.
1: One kind of philosophical tenet is that the state shouldn't intervene if you're not harming anybody other than yourself. And I imagine in boxing, since both of you sign up to hurt and be hurt, that could possibly count for that one. In which case, if you're not hurting somebody who doesn't want to be hurt, what's the problem?
2: The the greater challenge to that argument will be the development of the neuroscience. Because yes, boxers sign up thinking they know risks, but there's still a lot for us to learn about exactly what the cumulative effect and we're not just talking about the fights we're talking about sparring as well i mean ultimately the the, the best way to understand this is to look at a brain and sadly that's rather difficult unless you can take the brain out the skull and a lot of this work certainly in the nfl was done retrospectively on deceased players and the boxing industry itself is funding uh, lots of research. There's a huge study that's going on in Las Vegas to establish the effects of of potential concussive blows and, and how fast that leads to any sort of neurological conditions. But I'd say we, we have got a very long way to go on that. And I, I do think, you say there is consent, and there is consent, but I think greater understanding of the damage done may start to undermine that idea of, well, A, how willingly you want to give that consent, and B, what exactly are you signing up to?
1: Isn't actually part of the attraction, particularly of something like heavyweight boxing, precisely that it is licensed violence, which the onlooker is permitted to see. That's the attraction of it, much like gladiatorial games back in the Roman days, that that's actually what it's about. And if you take that bit out... Then people won't be so interested in the rest of it.
2: It's an interesting question as to whether that strengthens or undermines the case for boxing. Because, yes, as you say, is there something deep in our psyches that require, you know, that loves to watch gladiatorial combat? But if we think about gladiators being sent out with swords to potentially slice each other up, civilization changes, tastes change. What we thought was acceptable a couple of thousand years ago is now not what we enjoy what we think we enjoy for entertainment, bear baiting, for example, become something that we now look back and think that's abhorrent. Is it far-fetched to imagine that in a hundred years' time we'll look back and think, what, we sat there and cheered as one guy gave another guy brain damage? I don't think that is far-fetched.
1: Boxing, of course, is not the only extreme sport. We have downhill skiing, ski jumping, mountaineering. The producer of this programme, Will, is a keen cyclist. He points out to me what I didn't know, which is that bits of the Tour de France actually are pretty dangerous. Do you think that what we're looking at is the beginning of a significant move against those forms of dangerous sports or the dangers in some sports?
2: I really hope not. I'm a keen cyclist myself, and spent many hours, well, watching it, riding it, but, you know, talking to... I remember Chris Froome telling me about going down the side of an Alp at, I think it's 110 kilometres an hour in the pouring rain, saying that you could see about three feet in front of it. And I said, you you must have been terrified. And he said, I probably should have been terrified, but all I'm thinking is I need to to win this bloody cycle race. Sports men and women in, in all sorts of fields are constantly effectively ignoring risk pretending there's no risk the the vendee globe sailing race is on at the moment which i'm absolutely addicted to i mean this is one of the i think the greatest sporting challenge on earth requires you know solo sailing through the most dangerous seas i wrote about french sailor whose boat broke in half he ended up having to leap onto a life raft could so very easily have died so one thing i am absolutely not against is risk in sport or in life. I love extreme sports. I get the extremes, but I still think that boxing is very different, back to that point that Simon Barnes makes about the inherentness of the act of violence and the inherentness of the act of smashing someone in the face and in the skull, rattling that skull, the inherentness of trying to knock them out. And I think that is where boxing is in a place of its own.
1: In football, the English Premier League says it will allow trials for concussion substitutes to begin this month, while a group of former rugby union players, including England's 2003 World Cup winner Steve Thompson, are bringing a lawsuit claiming they were not protected as they should have been from the risks caused by concussion. A letter of claim setting out their intention to sue was sent to the sport's governing bodies the week before Christmas. They have three months to respond. Meanwhile due to Covid, professional boxing in Britain is temporarily paused. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, David Aronovich, and my guest, Matt Dickinson, the Chief Sports Writer at The Times. You can read more of Matt's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producer today was Will Rowe. The executive producer is Poppy Damon. Sound design was by Carla Patella. And if you have a story you think we should be covering, an idea for a future episode, or thoughts on what you've just heard, you can send us an email by writing to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. See you again soon. Subscribe today and get one month free at thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. Selling a little or a lot? Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.
0: Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times, and it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through
1: your history.